Who's Walking Into The Office is a podcast about the changing faces showing up at work, how they got there, what gets in the way, and what can we do as a business community to make things better. My name is Josuel Placencia. I am the co-founder and COO of Forefront. Before Forefront, I was on the other side. I was raised by a single mother in Queens, New York. Growing up low-income as a person of color and the first in my family to even graduate high school, I faced tremendous challenges when interviewing and attaining employment at some of America's top companies, from Accenture to Goldman Sachs. This is why this work matters so much for me. The demographics of the workplace are changing rapidly, and today there are more diverse faces in the workplace than ever before in American history. That said, challenges in the workplace that come with this change continue to persist. Who's Walking Into The Office is a fun, practical guide to better knowing and understanding who are these faces, the challenges they face, and what that means to all of us, the American workplace. Jacqueline, great to see you. Thanks for joining us today. Yes, the two J's today. It's good yes. to see you, Joshua. Yes. Yeah. No, Jacqueline, it's really, it's really special this this opportunity to to sit down to talk to you. You are uh, my first coach when I was just a teenager, um, in terms of really guiding me. And many years later, you continue to guide me. You continue to be somebody I depend on. Um, it means a lot to have you today as my first coach and and my I want to almost say my only coach because your influence has been paramount in in how I run my life. So so thank you. Oh, I I want to thank you for, for that and and to say to you that you're very coachable and that's one of one of the key mm. elements in any mentoring or coaching relationship. It's not just about the coach, but it's also about the recipient you know, of the coaching, whether or not that person is ready, willing and able not just to take in what they're hearing, but also to implement it in their lives. So that's a, that's a massive skill that a lot of people still struggle with. So kudos to you for being able to do that. Thank you. Thank you. uh, And I thank you as a coach, you also taught me the coachability and and what that means. (laughs) So (laughs) So that's also something that that would add to to the to the repertoire uh, of of the many skills that I've learned from you. But you know, to let's make this uh, today is about you. Today is about your story, your thoughts uh, on so much that is happening from the way the coronavirus has really impacted our lives, our workplaces, mm-hmm. to the the murder of George Floyd, mm-hmm. uh, to uh, you know the 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 you know, a division that exists in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that hopefully is is healed over time. So I I'm I'm before we get into that though I do want to start with your story your beginnings um, <laughs> and yeah I'm not my, my yeah, origin I know story I, I, I know them <laughs> I know them but uh, I think that not uh, not everyone knows them. So I want to really start at the very beginning and work our wow. way to today. Yeah. Okay. 
So um, my every everyone does have an origin story, um, and as and I always like to say that everybody has their inner superhero, right? And um, it always starts somewhere. And mine started back in the UK. I was born and grew up in the UK, mm-hmm. and I went to college there. And during my first year of college, my parents, my father actually got a job here, and he emigrated here several years before I went to college. And then when I was in my first year of college, my mom followed because they weren't quite Mm. sure whether they were going to make that move, you know? And um, I swore at the time that I was never going to come to America. This was just not the place for me. And I wasn't, well, I felt I didn't, I really didn't want to leave all my friends behind and everything that I knew. And I had, you know, a comfortable existence where I was and, um, comfort being that operative word and we'll talk more about that um and it it was what i knew what i was familiar with and um, the thought of kind of picking up my life packing it up and moving it thousands of miles across the atlantic to start again just wasn't really appealing for me and that's not what i saw as my future well, the environment that I was living in had um, different plans. So when I graduated, mm. when I graduated from college, um, I graduated into a, a recession economy. And what that meant for me was that jobs were very scarce to come by, especially in the um, sector that I wanted to go in, which was documentary filmmaking, you know, documentary filmmaking and um, communications and media. And um, it was so difficult to get a job. And at the time in the UK, it was like four television stations. If that, if you can imagine that, right. Two independent stations and then two BBC stations. And then, you know, radio was like even smaller, very provincial. Of course you had the BBC, the national um, stations, but then you had like smaller, um, smaller town stations. Mm. But the jobs were really hard to come by. And, you know, as a person of color um, in a majority um, white environment, it was very difficult to get a job in a high visibility job. You know, it was really hard. I, I I would not say that it was impossible because there were some people who made it through. Um, but, you know, it, it becomes a little bit like that only one syndrome, you know. So hmm. you have one person who makes it through and then the rest of the, the industry says, well, look, you know, it's proof that it can happen. Hmm. But what tends to happen is that the door shut behind that one person. And that one yeah. person becomes a token, you know, right. within the industry. And it you saw that back up- then. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. It operated pretty In much the, the same way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people think um, the UK doesn't have the same kind of issues. And I would say right. it does. Racism is systemic there as much as it is here as well as discrimination, it just is manifested in a slightly different way. Why do you think Um, people have that different viewpoint? Why do you think people, when they think, oh, you know, across a bridge, you know, equality lives? (laughs) Why is that? Because because it appears, I just say that their PR is very good, right? So it appears, mm. and also Britain appears very civilized on the, and it has this kind of, <laughs> this moral authority and see on the yeah. surface seems very civilized, but right. you know, the, the similarities between what happens here and what happens 
there, there are, there are many similarities between how yeah. um, the societies function and operate. And after all, the United States was, uh, was first populated and, and formed by mostly mm -hmm. British people. Right. Yeah. So the same attitudes that are in America are pretty much right. there in, in the UK. Yes. You know, it's, it's amazing because the, the here's a bold theory. Here's a bold theory. So mm -hmm. the experiences, uh, the way that people perceive the, the UK and Great Britain is very similar to the way people perceive the northeast of the US or New York or, or even, you know, Boston as these uh, places of moral authority or these places of, of great democracy and, and, and forward thinking. Um, but it's yes. like you said, it's PR, it's marketing, <laughs> because um, it, these, you know, uh, when, when, when you almost have a, a, sun, a, a certain level of righteousness to, to say, hey, you know, things are, are good or, or we are better as a region than other regions in the United States or for the UK, other countries, uh, or even neighboring countries, because obviously there's a lot there with the UK and, and Ireland and, 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 you know, other countries in, in the region. Um, that makes things worse because you're giving yourself, uh, you're, you're, you're really blocking um, the system and or blocking progress. And it's systematic, you know, mm -hmm. because a lot of the issues that, um, you know, folks in the UK or in New York, when they point the finger at another region, um, uh, say in the, you know, in the context of the US, the South, uh, a lot of the challenges that exist in smaller towns and smaller cities that are more rural are much more relationship based. You know, they're much more uh, someone called you a name, someone maybe is uncomfortable around you. But the big buildings in London, the big buildings in New York, they're the ones that are perpetrating real systematic issues at scale, not, you know, Clarksdale, Mississippi, right? Those are, the, Clarksdale, Mississippi is living the impact of, of, of DC, of London, of New York, of San Francisco. What do you think about that? Right. Um, well, it's, it's, it's a multitude of things coming together. So there's the whole kind of cultural snobbery, you know, right. between, between different regions. And you get the same between the UK, where they like to feel that they are better and more sophisticated and more enlightened when it comes to race. Um, but having been a person of color who has lived both there and here, I also see a lot of similarities, though I do recognize the differences. And it's mixed up, the racism is mixed up with um, classism as well, you know. Um, again, there are differences with economics, with how people view themselves. Um, right. and, 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 and how enlightened they are. Um, for me, it's the difference between the North and the South here in the United States is um, in the South, they're, they're more overt and you could say honest with right. their feelings, right? Right, exactly. So it's, exactly, it's exactly. out there, it's more on yeah. the surface for you to exactly. see it. And here in the North, it's a way more covert. Yeah. Um, and it's been driven underground. So you have this yeah. surface of respectability and enlightenment and liberalism. And yet at the same time, you know, you have these horrendous situations that are going on. 
that many of us actually, and I know we're going to be talking about George Floyd, yeah, um, yeah. but the George Floyd issue um, has somehow released a lot of people of color from their mm-hmm. silence. Um, mm-hmm. And many of the things that have been issues for us over the years that we have chosen not to speak about because of fear of repercussions. Yes. Right now it's all bubbling up and people feel released and able to talk about them regardless of whatever the consequences are. So it's now become more acceptable and safer because of what happened for us to actually speak our truth. Yeah. about what the reality the work reality has been for black and brown people in this country so in a way that's a good thing it's just sad that it took an event like this for us to have an honest conversation and for us to feel free to be able to talk about these things yeah that's um yeah, that's that's the part that is just so hard about it is that what you said is is spot on. It's true and is devastating. You know that that um, we a lot of the research. This was research around two years ago. Me and my uh, business uh, partner, my co-founder, Yulkendi uh, Valdez, we were really um, noticing in our workshops and trainings with a lot of companies, a lot of them Fortune 500 companies uh, traveling the US, we noticed some of the trends. And one of those disturbing trends was the culture of censorship and Mm. how how relevant it is (laughs) and how no one is talking about it. Um, And um, yeah, I mean, I I really hope, I really hope that uh, we can find a way to to not have a culture of censorship in in our companies do you think that's possible do you think that you know what do you think that we could do because it's it's tough it's a really it's a it's 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 really deeply ingrained to not speak about Mm -hmm. certain things Mm -hmm. not to have those cultures where you can safely talk about certain topics right or even about yourself right story yeah, and I think what, what you're addressing is psychological safety, which tends to be absent for people of color. And I've personally experienced that. I don't think I've had one job either in the UK or here in the United States where I felt safe enough to openly talk about issues um, around race or around um, discrimination that I've experienced. And I, and I would say there isn't one job where I, that I've had where I haven't encountered these, these issues. Um, but you have to learn how to pick your battle sometimes. Or so every day you would be coming in and running into conflict with people. And then you get that other reputation, which is right. as the angry black person, you know, because right, you're right. confronting everything. Um, so you pick your battles about what you want to, um, what you want to, go to the table with versus what you're going to say, I'm just going to let that give that a pass and just keep moving. Um, But after a while, you know, that does have an effect on you when you're constantly stuffing things down because you're never authentically yourself. And 
I, I recall looking at white colleagues in the past um, and envying them, their freedom to be themselves, like to show yeah. up 100% themselves, whatever that is, and not be punished for it and yeah. not have repercussions or not have to carry the load for right. other people that look like yourself. Um, so it's, it's quite a burden on us. And whether that's going to change over overnight because of what's going on, I don't know. And to me, it's the difference between this being a movement or a moment, right? Wow. If it's a moment, then it's trendy, right, to talk about these things right now and right. to declare yourself um, as a supporter of of black lives mattering um if it's a movement it means that you are opening yourself up for some deep insight within your company mm. you're going to be self-reflective and you're going to be ready to get uncomfortable in your company right. um by looking at things that a you may not have recognized before because when you're in a position of privilege mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that you don't see they operate right. much the same way as blind spots you know right. so we all have them right. um in in our in our perform career lives in our performance our mm -hmm. impact on others we all have these blind spots um, but there's a massive blind spot when it comes to yeah. to like racial equity and justice in the workplace and um, and fairness. Right. Uh, and I'm not sure if within certain companies this is going to be a moment or a movement. Right. I, I suspect for many of them it's just going to be a moment mm -hmm. because it's lucrative right now right 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 to say that you're a supporter of of black lives mattering or of um racial equity in the workplace right because you don't want the consequences the economic consequences of people boycotting you or <laughs> yeah. or moving away from your brand because you yeah know, brand, your social reputation is everything these days and that's directly tied to the bottom line. So yeah. <laughs> nobody wants to be branded in that way because it's yeah. going to hurt profits. Yeah. Wow. That, yeah, and that's why I, I um, and that's why I think that that what we're dealing with is is so massive and really requires us to really rethink business, you know, and 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 rethink what it means to start a company what the role of companies are because when you make it all about um profits when you make it all about when there's an incentive to that you know that the role of your company is just to make money uh that it, then you get a lot of of limitations when it comes to to the um you know social you know well-being of people you know, mm -hmm. that, 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 so I think that, um, I, you know, I personally have not, uh, looked too much into it, but there's, um, so, so I'm, I'm probably quite ignorant in, in the company itself, but, uh, just seeing, for example, like that apparently the, the founders of, of, uh, 
Ben and Jerry have like talked about white supremacy like many years ago. Um, that that stuff like that is is when it when it was unpopular to yeah, to exactly. position yourself in that way. Exactly, yes. exactly. Mm-hmm. So that 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 just shows a uh, a real commitment to to. Um, to what I feel companies should should look like. And Ben and Jerry's is a company. They sell ice cream. They they produce a product. They sell a product. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so I think that. Am I naive to think that you can m- make a living, like they say? And uh, <laughs> the, they also say that in the in the U.S. Uh, you yes. know, a hard day's work. You know, Paul McCartney. Uh, this idea of work of production of mm. of of you know, this, this very Anglo concept mm-hmm. uh, is it naive to think that that concept can live in a, in a, in, and have a commitment to social benefit, you know, like, is there a way that Ben and Jerry's becomes a norm for, and, 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 and that ripples away or, yeah, or not. I, th- I think it can be, but it's going to take a lot of, of courage. I think when we use that phrase, white supremacy, what sometimes happens with, with white people, especially white people in power, um, is that they tend to think that that's an attack on whiteness in itself. And we forget that the, the idea of like whiteness, um, blackness, brownness, whatever, um, these are all constructs. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and, they, and they came out of um, the, the history, the way this country evolved historically, economically. Um, it didn't come out of nowhere. And it was a construct that has been developed for a reason to preserve power and privilege mm-hmm. with a certain group. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem that with, with many white people um, understanding what white supremacy is, is that they, they don't un- also understand that they're victims of it too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And they are huge victims of it. Um, yes. And they don't realize what they're being deprived of because of that. Exactly. Um, because when you adopt whiteness, you're erasing the cultural context in which you came out of. And mm-hmm. white people have a diverse cultural context, you know, rich, diverse, amazing mm-hmm. cultural context that they come out of which yeah. have all been subverted, subverted or, or erased yeah. in order to cling to what whiteness is. And yeah. what whiteness means is that, and, and what white supremacy is, or the concept of whiteness, is it's about preserving power and privilege at the expense of others. Exactly. Right? And, exactly. Whole, and therefore... And how dehumanizing having, that is. Yeah. And, and the, right, and, but having the, the story creating a story about greatness and achievement around that when you know that you've held back an entire team or two of people from the playing field in order for you right to win the game i mean mean, that's absurd and to me that's that's a lack of confidence in your ability to compete with Mm -hmm. everybody else you know, yeah. and if you truly felt that you were great in that way, you wouldn't feel the need to do that. And you would actively work 
to yeah. dismantle those barriers that would stop those other teams coming onto the field and playing the same game with the same rules that you have. Yeah. Um, so it's about, I, I would love to see white people reject the idea of whiteness as much as I would like to see black people be able to reject the idea of blackness as well um, right. and start to reclaim the cultural heritages that they come from which are way more interesting to me right? right and say more about who you are than these blanket statements or constructs that we hide behind right yes wow you know uh, that's amazing uh, jacqueline that's really amazing the there's a lot that i'm thinking about while, while i hear you the first thing is uh, James Baldwin has really touched a lot on what you just spoke about it. And it's this, it's almost this idea of a false comfort mm -hmm. that comes with hegemony. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it's, it's really a false comfort that, um, distances, uh, a lot of people, um, in, in this particular, we're talking about white people, white people in power, um, distances them from, uh, really even understanding um, their, their, their selves, their story, their right. humanity, you know, right. and, and it's this false comfort. James Baldwin is, I think, a great writer and, and, and really touched on this and, and uh, the price you pay when, when you kind of fall into that narrative, right? Um, right. And um, yeah, so, so I cannot uh, agree more. I think that was, that, that's very powerful what you're sharing. Yeah, and you know, the there are many white people it's just the idea and the idea that there are not white people cannot be economically depressed or ghetto which is a label they like to attach to brown and black people right, right. um the idea that you can be none of these things when we know with certainty right that there are massive communities in every state exactly that fit these descriptors the descriptors that are traditionally affixed to black and brown people and so this is why i talk about and and of course when white people when black people then talk, start to talk about or and brown people talk about the oppression that we're under um mm. the white people who are suffering become incensed and angry mm -hmm. because to them, it's as if you're, we're saying to them that only our suffering matters, which is not the case, not the right, case at right. all. What they don't recognize is that by buying into white, this idea of whiteness mm -hmm, right, mm -hmm, and the mm -hmm. power and privilege around that, they've mm -hmm. created a prison for themselves where their issues have not risen to the top. Right, right? right. They haven't because they've been champions of whiteness instead and that mm -hmm. false narrative about whiteness being successful and great and, you know, um, able to, to navigate the world successfully right. and all of these things right. that we affix to it. And it's not necessarily the case for, yeah. for every white person. Um, so they're victims of this narrative. But exactly. they don't what they think they are are victims of black progress, black and brown yeah. progress yeah and that's that's the problem is that they're yeah. not getting it 
and that if they would break away from the idea of whiteness, they would see so much more in common with what black and brown people are saying. Yeah, yeah. About the, the many issues that that plague this country that all seem to be coming to a head, actually, mm-hmm. with, with COVID. I feel that the, right. Malcolm X said one time about the chickens coming home to roost. Mm. This is the chickens coming home to roost. When you right. kick the race issue down the road right. for year, for centuries, you keep right. kicking it down the road for somebody else to solve it. When right. you kick um, ballooning debt and wide economic disparities right, right. between rich and poor, you kick that down the road, right? eventually you're going to run out of road. And with, yeah. COVID, with COVID, we've run yeah. out of road on everything. Everything exactly. from the, the healthcare disparities, right? The, the ballooning debt issues, yeah. you know, the race issues. Everything has come to a head. The, the, we're at a dead end with everything. Yeah. Now it's a question of now what? Yeah. To crossroads. What are we going to sure. do? What are we get? There's no crossroads for this. No crossroads. Yeah. I, I'm like, we're at a dead end, a cul-de-sac. A cul-de-sac yeah. is what we would call it in the UK. Wow. So are we going to back away from it? The only choice is to back away from it or right. you walk up to it and you deal with it and you confront it, right? So you wow. can make a, a path forward. Wow, wow, wow. And I, I don't know where we're going to be quite honestly, um, when all this is over, I am hopeful that we are ready to finally confront some really ugly things about all of us because white supremacy is black and a brown issue too because we take it in and we practice Mm -hmm. it and support it and feed it too. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's... it's, um... Yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 really, it's really amazing um, what, what you're sharing and what, what I'm really uh, what comes to mind uh, around your your point that uh, how these things manifest themselves, um, paralleling two kind of historical moments in the U.S. that show how it. If, if we talked about these things in more of a class issue and there was more unity uh, around folks that are suffering in this country um, due to just not having the best support, uh, healthcare support, self, you know, the, the, the best um, uh, systems it's for, everything. for educational. It's, it's, it's education, yeah, education, it's health, yeah. it's housing, you name it. And yeah. when we when we have to, when we're at a point where we're talking about dismantling the police force right. in different towns and states, you know it's bad. Yeah. yeah. When we get to that point, when we, people start, when the people start to see the ones who have been hired to protect and serve. Right. And exactly. using our money as taxpayers to do that. When yeah. we cannot trust that that can be done. Yeah. And done in a way which will keep all of us safe. You know, we're in serious trouble. And yeah. yet we're still, 
to me, we shouldn't even be debating this. We're, we're past the tipping point. Yeah. In this country. And it's either going to be the fall of the Roman Empire, which mm. is right, or right. we're going, or we're going, it's going to be the Phoenix rising from the ashes with this country, you know, and, yeah. and, and yeah. finding a new way, which I think is a, a talent that Americans have. Right. Is finding a new way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So the, 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 yeah, the, the two historical moments that show that kind of um, overlap between race and class and, and how it manifests. One of them is Bacon's Rebellion, which was yes. one of the first um, rebellions by slaves in the U.S. It was, right. quote-unquote, um, you can say cross-racial rebellion in Virginia mm-hmm. against, um, you know, the masters the of rich, the land. The rich, the rich, the rich landowner. It was exactly. the rich landowners because, exactly. it was a, because that's exactly what it was. It was, it was yeah. about wealth and poverty. Exactly. Yes. And in that time, you know, this was many, many years before the American Revolution or anything like that. Yeah, it was uh, around quote-unquote mm-hmm. quote American Revolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Um, do you remember what it was? I think maybe late seventeenth uh, century, uh, right? I it, think it was pretty. It was very. It was very early on, and you got to remember yeah. that w- w- when this country, when this country was founded, and I, I have problems with that word because you can't right, right, find right. something that was lost when there were people here right. already. Exactly. Um, <laughs> well, like you know, a startup. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So when when immigrants first came to this country illegally, I have to put that in there, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, poor whites. So they emptied the jails of Europe, and mostly this was like Great Britain, mm. and they would and and also the poor and the indigent, and they brought them over as indentured servants, uh, right? Yeah, exactly. And the first black people who came here yes yeah. were enslaved but it was more closer to indentitude right so it was right. it wasn't the chattel slavery as what we know it now when the both the poor whites and it happened in australia too this is really mm. funny it happens in all of these countries it happened in the caribbean as well same thing when the poor whites and the black people, right, were living to living and working together and formed alliances That's against the rich, yes, against yep. rich landowners, that was the problem. That is that was the beginning That's, of whiteness and white supremacy, exactly. right? There. That's the beginning of that race it. as we know it. That yeah. is that was the crux. It was like, what can we create yeah. so that this never happens again? So we yes. create a permanent division. Exactly, and it was to create privilege attached to skin color, which is the most absurd thing you can <laughs> yeah. think of. Yeah, and that those those that's where the racial codes came from. That was still exactly living with, exactly living with today, and it, exactly. and it and it hasn't changed. It just morphs into something else. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. That's where I wanted to go. Exactly the mm-hmm. the racial codes after Bacon's mm-hmm. Rebellion. The the you know the at, the at the time not the United States but we're introduced for the first time to to um, legal or implemented law that says that you know a black man can't hold a weapon or can't vote uh, and 
you know, like you said, it's morphed into all of these other things. Uh, yeah, it's a question you know, of numbers, Joshua, because, yeah, you know, yeah. you had a few very wealthy landowners and then you had yeah. like hundreds Exactly. Even thousands yeah. of like poor whites and like poor Africans who were bought over. So yeah. it was a question of numbers. You know, who would you, you're going to divide and conquer. You're going to exactly. want the poor whites. You want to break that up so that Give they don't threaten your interests. Exactly. And so you tell them, you know, you are better than this one over here because exactly. of the, the, the color of your skin. You're closer to what I am. And you can aspire to be me because of the color of your skin, not because we've created, you know, a pathway and opportunity to wealth and opportunity for you, but just because of the color of your skin, you you have the, the, there's a possibility that you could be like me. Well, that Mm -hmm. was a myth. That was a lie because there was, there was no way that you could become, there were very few, I'm not going to say there was no way, because obviously some people did it, but very few people could do that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, no, it's amazing that, that I love that parallel that, because a lot of times a lot of uh, people of color get tokenized, right? And, mm-hmm. and so there's that one person, we actually started the interview talking about that, but it works also the other way with, with whiteness too. Mm-hmm. um in 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 interesting ways and you know i almost i almost want to say and what you just said it's not happening anymore it's, it, it doesn't <laughs> happen it's not the it's not the context of 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 our uh you know political environment it's not the context of anything that's going on but um you know, it 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 uh it might be a hundred percent of a lot of what is happening right now, um, and of course that's you know, everyone can 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 ha- can form their own opinion, but uh, it's really just amazing how what you just said is, in many ways in in my view manifesting itself today in in some extreme it's ways, just, and then just, you have technology to exactly technology to <laughs> uh-huh. exacerbate it. Yeah, you know the the the. To to going from Bacon's Rebellion to mm-hmm. the final years of of, of um, a, a, and this is going to be an interesting question. I, I'm, I'm curious. So, looking forward, right? Looking forward uh, as as a community, as as a business people that are listening to these podcasts, as mm-hmm. the young people that are listening to this podcast, and the final years of Martin Luther King, mm-hmm. he really focused on. On, on this unity of people of all backgrounds, all walks of life, um, working together, envisioning a new future. And um, that's when he was most targeted in many ways. And, you know, unfortunately was murdered himself. Um, and and, and uh, as, even though he had so much more to contribute, uh, what do you feel, what, what would it take, right, to, to create that connection, that unity, from your view, you know, uh, you know, you mentioned courage earlier, but what are practical things, practical, you know, things, actions that we can take starting tomorrow? Um, what will it take to create the unity? My first thought, quite honestly, was an outside threat like COVID, <laughs> uh, <laughs> right? Um, like a pandemic. Yeah, like a pandemic. 
Yeah. It, yeah, we don't have some, a pandemic, so it's fine. Some <laughs> huge, massive, some huge, massive external threat um, is is one thing, and and that's happening right now. And I don't think it's um, a coincidence we have, have that we've pandemics. gotten this. This this. <laughs> well, I don't think it's a coincidence that we have. Um, social unrest and that the whole, the whole kind of race issue has come to the top. I think if uh, what happened to George Floyd had happened during normal regular times, yes, there would have been marches, etc. but would have, would there have been this cross-racial alliance that we're seeing? Right. Would yeah. people have had time to even notice it and pay attention, right? Exactly. This created, COVID created space. So you can't hide behind work and business anymore where you actually were forced to watch the life being taken from another human being. Yeah, literally. Right. And it's not the first time it's happened. Um, I marveled that everybody was so shocked when we've seen video of this happening multiple times already. Exactly. Right. Various iterations. And I'm like, well, what was different about this? And what it told me was that, well, because we can't hide behind business with COVID, right? Yeah. We we were still for once. We were still. And in that stillness, we were forced to focus on reality. And what um, people actually saw racism for the first time, Mm. which blew my mind because i'm like it's been there all along wow. this is just another form of what we've been seeing hmm. and people were shocked by it absolutely shocked was i shocked no hmm. was it hurtful yes because i could imagine one of my family members in that situation quite easily or people that I know and love, you know, I could imagine that happening to them. Um, So it was painful within that context, but no more painful than what happened to Sandra Bland. And what's happening to Brianna, what happened to Brianna Taylor, what's happening to hundreds of of black people every single day, whether it's at the hands of, of police or whether it's the, at the hands of each other because yeah. systemic racism creates the conditions that create black on black violence. Right. You know? right, right. The, the, the conditions create that. If you were to put lock, if you were to imprison anyone and lock you into a space with very few options, of course you're going to turn on each other. Of course yeah. that's going to happen. Yeah. So why would it be a surprise? Why are we not able to put ourselves in other people's shoes and, and say, well, if this was happening, this was happening, and this was happening, how, who would I be? Right. It's a miracle that we're not all that, that not all black and brown people are doing this. Yeah. And, and, and with aberrant behavior. It's a miracle. Yeah. Yeah. And, but we don't focus on that, that it's the majority of people are not doing this in spite of what we're living with, the conditions right. we're living under. We're choosing wow. not to do that. And yet at the same time, we've seen with COVID, um, 
which for the first time has opened up many white Americans to certain hardships that they never thought they would ever have. Joblessness for one, lack of health care, lack mm. of food. Mm. Gosh, well, you've seen it. The, the, yeah. the, we have soup kitchens like back in the Depression. We have food pantries where there are lines yeah. for miles. You know, whoever thought, many white people never believed they would ever be in that condition. But this is right. the reality for many black and brown people every day. Wow. And the uncertainty... Even when we're employed, we live with uncertainty, volatility, complexity, right. ambiguity, the whole VUCA world. VUCA world is the black world, right? Every mm. day, from the moment you're born to the moment you die, you live right. VUCA. Mm. And um, for the first time, white Americans are there. And, and for a lot of them, they're breaking under the stress. And it's, it's, not, it's been a couple of months. Imagine a lifetime. Yeah. So I would say to um, white allies that this is definitely a moment of reflection, right? And this is really about having learning how to have empathy and to have using your imagination to imagine yourself in these conditions, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because the world is becoming more precarious where that could become a reality for all of us, not just for black people. If right. we don't do something, some drastic things to turn things around and it's all tied together, even the environment, how we treat the environment that has a direct impact on um, the, the number of viruses that are going to yeah. be jumping from another species to the human species, yeah, when we yeah. encroach into animal territory, when the permafrost is melting out in the Arctic, releasing ancient viruses and bacteria into the atmosphere, yeah. eventually it's going to become a problem for all of us. So this is, I, we've talked about the tipping point all the time, but I, I feel that you can't talk about racism without seeing a connection to everything that human beings do wow. that are self-destructive right um and that we have a real choice that we can choose to do differently because it's, mm -hmm. it's just choice that's all yeah. it is it's choice and it may the choice may mean that you're not living as comfortably as what you're used to but that's okay mm. If it's going to preserve the only home that we have, right, and preserve peace and stability right. for centuries to come. I am hoping that future generations don't look back at us and say that we blew it. Yeah. When we had an opportunity to really do something magical, because I think that's what this is. Mm. And I'm excited about that. I just want others to be excited about it and to see the real, the possibility and what can be created from this. Wow. I am, I really, you know, your, your voice is, is really a one that we all need to hear right now. And I'm just so thankful uh, and honored uh, with, with the opportunity to speak with you. 
And, um, you know, what, what you said really talks about the responsibility that, that we all have. Oh, we Everyone. do. Every, every single one of us, right? I, I don't think any of us can afford to opt out of any of this. Uh, every choice we make is going to have a ripple effect, right? Every yeah. decision, even this discussion we're having is going to have an impact on create. It's creating the future. So you know, the, yeah. we're creating as we speak. Everything that we choose to do is creating what's going to come. Yeah. And and so knowing that, having that sense of accountability and responsibility for who we are and what we do, this is what the name of my company is Be Do Have Results. Mm-hmm. Who mm-hmm. are you being, right? Who you're being and what you're doing will determine what you have that drives the results that you're looking for. Exactly. It's about intentionality. Right. Be exactly. living an intentional life. And we have the opportunity to do that, to wake up from the slumber that and, and COVID, as horrible as it is, has given us that gift, right? Where we right. can do that and we can transform work as we know it, the reality. We can transform the world with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Thank you so much, uh, uh, Jacqueline. In- in terms of um, you know final thoughts, final words mm-hmm. that you have for for our listeners, for your partners, I wanted to give you the the mic one once again before <laughs> going. I really enjoyed this conversation. There's a lot that I've learned from it. It's one of the best conversations I've had in a while because it's so raw, so real, and um, that's the number one thing I'm getting from it is how real we need to be with each other yeah authenticity exactly yeah yeah i would say to especially because this is really about you know your your program and your company is focused on creating you know a work reality and i would say to everyone that we have the opportunity to um, put the humane back into human interactions at work which is a reflection of what we're trying to do out here in society right now. There is absolutely no reason why people, purpose and profits cannot thrive and grow together at the same time. There's no reason. And um, if you are smart about it, diversity, inclusion, fairness, right, racial equity, these are massive drivers of profit. <laughs> you just, that you're sleeping on, that, that companies have been sleeping on this for a long time. And you're also suppressing innovation when you're not allowing the right people at the table to um, give their perspectives and to help shape your ideas for your products and your services, you're missing out on a competitive edge that you could possibly have over others. It just makes good strategic business sense to me. To me, it's a no-brainer. Why would you not want that? It makes no sense. So I'd say to you, like, use this opportunity to release the potential of your people. And of your company, you know, and, and, and see where it takes you in terms of that next level of business. Thank you so much, Jacqueline. I really enjoyed speaking with, with you today. You're welcome. Thank you. We'll, ha- we'll talk <laughs> soon. We'll have you back on another show. 
Thank you. Thank you. Wow, that was, wow. That was, I almost had the chills a few times. 